This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Have you heard about the Resident Orthopedic Core Knowledge Program? The American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons has partnered with leading experts in the field to bring you ROCK, the online learning platform developed for U.S. residency programs. Free to residents, ROCK empowers you to build a foundation to prepare you for the OITE and ABOS Part 1 exam. And remember, access to the ROCK content is free for residents. Get started at rock.aaos.org. Hello, everybody. Welcome yet to another episode of the Nailed It Ortho podcast. You are tuned into our board series slash our OITE review series. And today we're going to talk a little bit more about pediatrics. And uh, just so you all know, the review book is finally live. We have uh, we are glad that you all are, are enjoying it. We've gotten some good feedback thus far. But again, this has a review book that has all of the notes that go along to all of our different podcast episodes. It has some images. It has areas for you to take notes. It has what episodes if you want to take a deeper dive into specific topics, which ones to listen to. So please go and check that out. And if you really enjoy, please give us a five star review on Amazon. That would help out a bunch. But uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and hop into today's episode. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring Drs. Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. I know it's a lot to take in, but the angles you should keep in mind are Cobb angles less than 25. You usually don't operate between 25 and 45. You uh, put them into a cast or a uh, removable brace. Um, and then greater than 50 are typically the operative patients. So um, is it female or male incidence of uh, adolescent idiopathic scoliosis uh, with curves worse than 30 degrees more common? Yeah, so it's going to be more common in females, almost like a 10 to 1 ratio of uh of of occurrence. So again, in, in adolescent idiopathic scoliosis, females are going to be more uh, more common. And again, so this is in contrast with early onset scoliosis, which we talked about. Males were a little bit more common. So again, adolescent idiopathic scoliosis, females uh, with worse curves. So again, curves greater than 30 degrees is going to be more often occurring in females. Now, what are some ways to assess for curve progression, like the risk of curve progression in patients uh, that have adolescent idiopathic scoliosis, AIS? Uh, there's a, a bunch of different ways. Um, <laughs> uh, the ones you hear more about um, are one age of their first period. And uh, the typical teaching is um, once they have their first period, they've already reached their uh, kind of maximum uh, rate of growth there. That doesn't mean that they're going to stop growing, but they, um, how fast they are growing tends to slow down after that. And so, um, you want to always ask these young ladies, um, when was your first period? So then you can kind of gauge where they are at in how fast they're growing. If they haven't had their first period yet, then they're usually, uh, thought to, uh, progress more than than if they had already have uh, had their first period. Um, then there's the Tanner stages, and the Tanner stages um, are uh, basically looking at, uh, I believe it's uh, their pubertal stage that they are at, and it's less than three 
uh, for females means that they still have remaining skeletal growth. Um, for a RISER stage zero to one, um, the RISER stage looks at the uh, um, how fused uh, their bones are. Um, and if they are more fused, like uh, I think it looks at their iliac crest. And if the iliac crest is more fused, then they are more at skeletal maturity and less risk for progressing. But if they are a RISER stage zero to one, meaning that essentially none of their iliac crest apophysis has fused, um, they are still rapidly growing and can progress uh, from that uh, stage. And then you're also looking at like open triradiate cartilage or their peak growth uh, velocity, which is kind of what I talked about where it occurs just before um, their first period. And so that's that's when they're going to to grow the most is right before their first period. Um, but uh, I, I don't know about the the Sanders stage, maybe, maybe you, you know about it kind of off the top of your head, but I had never heard about the Sanders stage. No, I think we talk about, I think, I think I have a question in here in a, in a bit over the Sanders stage. We get, we'll, 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 we'll talk, we'll touch base on it. All right. Um. So what would, so, I mean, I kind of went over it, but who would be the most at risk for curve progression in adolescent idiopathic scoliosis? Yeah, this is, I mean, pretty much what you just said. So, a pre-menarchal female with a tanner stage less than three, a risker of zero, and open triradiate cartilage. So that is going to be the, the person that is at most risk for curve progression because they still have a lot of growing to do. Uh, you briefly mentioned this, but what would, what is a risker stage? Yeah, so risker stage, you're getting an AP of the pelvis, and you're looking at the iliac crest uh, apophysis fusion and... Um, Basically, it's it's a score of zero to five. Zero meaning very immature, no fusion has occurred. Uh, stage five is a adult appearing pelvis where the entire apophysis is fused. And um, I'm pulling up a uh, picture of it right here, but I believe it fuses um, from uh, front to back. So basically, um, you'll, you'll see the, the fusion, uh, in a RISR one or a RISR two, let's say it's going to be the anterior half of the iliac crest. Whereas a RISR four and five, it, you're going to see all anterior to posterior iliac crest is going to be fused. So, um, know that the fusion, starts anterior next to the ASIS and finishes posterior by the PSIS. Um, and then, Oh, you're, you're totally right. And I, I thought that the Sanders score was about this, but I, I, I never really fully understood it, but what is the stand Sanders score based on? Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't even like completely all the way fully understand it. I know how to recognize the most mature one, <laughs> um, but the Sanders score is going to be based. It's going to, classify the skeletal maturity based on hand x-rays and like what it's looking at is like the relationship of the um, apophyseal ossification um, in the hands and it goes from a standards of of one all the way to eight and eight is going to be your your most skeletally mature um, so that that's going to be the standard score I, I don't think they're going to ask a whole bunch of questions about that I think they're going to give us kind of the wrister stage um, but just just so you know they may just show a hand x-ray up there 
and maybe give you a Sanders score, or if you see a lot of um, um, not a lot of ossification, so a lot of open um, growth centers, then you know there's going to be more growing that's going to that that patient is going to have. Um, and so we mentioned in in early onset scoliosis that it was mostly a uh, a majority left sided curves with a male predominance. What uh, what curve is is most common in adolescent idiopathic scoliosis? Uh, the adolescent idiopathic is going to be a more right-sided curve is going to be the most common. And those are the ones where you typically don't have to investigate more because they they usually don't have either some sort of vertebral anomaly leading to it or anything like that. And so uh, know that the right side is the most common in adolescent uh AIS or excuse me, adolescent idiopathic scoliosis. And so, um, oh, one other thing, I answered this question on orthobullets just because one of the uh, test takers on on that site had basically uh, they were confused as to why the scoliosis x-ray wasn't labeled which side was left and right. And a standard practice for obtaining scoliosis x-rays is to obtain an it's actually a PA radiograph rather than an AP and so when you look at the x-ray and this is the boards will only show you a PA radiograph of the spine um, the left side of the image is going to be the left side of the patient so a right-sided curve means that the curve is going to go towards the right side of the patient or away from the heart kind of deal. So um... this episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Are you an orthopedic resident? Then you need to know about Rock. It's a new resident orthopedic core knowledge program developed by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons created for U.S. residency programs and free to residents. Rock covers 11 subspecialties and is filled with in-depth comprehensive content and quizzes that have been authored and vetted by some of the leading experts in orthopedics. This all-in-one curriculum will give you the foundation and knowledge you need to become a successful board-certified orthopedic surgeon. And remember, access to ROC content is free to residents. Get started at rock.aaos.org. Uh, what are some indications to obtain an MRI in adolescent idiopathic scoliosis? Yeah, so anybody that has a left thoracic curve, you should get an MRI. Um, anybody that has neurological symptoms, so you know, um, you know, any uh, radiculopathy or any neurological symptoms, abnormal reflexes, things of that sort, you want to get an MRI. Anybody has ap apical kyphosis, um, any rapid curve progression. So, say you get an X-ray. Uh, and and they come back in three three to four months and they have like 20 degrees 15 20 degrees of curve progression and that's considered pretty rapid so you want to get a an MRI and any and then again anybody that has any congenital anomalies um, so any history of a myelomeningocele things of that sort that'd be a reason to get an an MRI and so what are some you know we always talk about getting MRIs but what are you actually looking for on MRIs when you're evaluating uh, patients with AIS so, you know say this person comes in left side of thoracic curve and some neurological symptoms. What are you looking for on MRI? Uh, they can either have a tethered cord, uh, Chiari malformations, uh, syringomyelia of the uh, 
central portion of the uh, spinal cord, uh, a spinal cord tumor, um, and not necessarily a malignancy, but a, uh, I mean, even something like a like an osteoid osteoma um, can cause uh, uh, scoliosis, and so uh, some sort of spinal cord tumor or spinal column tumor, and then um, dysraphism, which is essentially like spina uh, bifida. And so what are some of the factors that can contribute to curve progression for AIS? Yeah, so a younger age, um, and, and I think at least for the exam, um, they'll pretty much say that, you know, boys stop growing at 16 and girls stop growing at 14. Again, only for the exam in real life, This we know that this is not always the case. But I think in for the exam, that's kind of the the numbers that they look at again. So boys stopping at 16, girls stopping at 14. Um, so things that will lead towards uh, curve progression. So younger age, uh, somebody that has a larger curve magnitude. So these curves at 40, 45, 50. Uh, again, anybody that's not skeleton mature, so a RISR one or a Sanders stage one, um, and then uh, any uh, thoracic or double curves. So those are things that may lead you towards curve progression as opposed to lumbar and single curves. So we know there's a, a, a lanky classification, which I don't think we need to know for <laughs> for this exam. Uh, it's a little in-depth, um, but we know that there can be thoracic-sided curves, there can be lumbar curves, it can be single and double curves. Um, but the things that will lead you a little bit more towards curve progression is going to be a thoracic uh, curve and a double curve. So what is typically the treatment uh, for AIS or some of these different treatment options? It can be very similar to that infantile uh, idiopathic scoliosis. Um, so you're looking at the Cobb angle. And if a that Cobb uh, angle is uh, less than uh, 25 degrees and they are skeletally immature, you can observe them, get x-rays every six months to a year, depending on how how much their uh, curve is. I think if they're more in the 20 to 25 range, you're probably going to be watching them uh, on a more frequent interval basis rather than on the uh, 10 to 15 degree range. You you have some time to to watch them in between so you don't have to expose them to as much radiation. Um, so again, curves less than 25 degrees and they're skeletally immature, you observe them. If they have a curve 25 to 40 degrees and they are skeletally immature, you put them into a brace. Um, if they are a curve less than 40 degrees, but they are skeletally mature, meaning uh, Risser 5 or Sanders uh, 8, um, those ones you can observe because they're already skeletally mature and it's unlikely that that curve is going to continue progressing you still follow these patients for several years as we know that it's not an exact science that as soon as they hit a risser five or a sanders eight they 100 percent of the time stop progressing but you you don't necessarily have to put a skeletally mature patient into a brace because they're usually not going to progress but if they do progress um, and they have a curve greater than 50 degrees then those are the uh, operative uh, sort of patients. And the at least the teaching that I had, and it was a long time ago since I've done a scoliosis case or really discussed scoliosis with one of my residency attendings, but 
the whole goal of scoliosis surgery, um, especially with these big profound curves, is not necessarily to straighten out their spine uh, to be fully straight. It's essentially to prevent further progression. And so you don't have to take a curve of 60 degrees down to a curve of zero. You just want to make sure that they're not progressing anymore. So they may still have some residual uh, scoliosis, but it's far better than it is uh, before surgery. So um, moving on to like some bracing, um, what are some of the braces that can be used in the treatment of AIS? Yeah, so you can use a thoracolumbar sacral orthosis uh, as well as a cervical thoracolumbar sacral orthosis. So, you know, for the thoracolumbar um, sacral orthosis or the TLSO brace, um, this is typically the ones that's used more often. And this is when that curve apex is going to be T8 and lower. Um, but if you're curve apex is above T7, then you may need to include a, a cervical part to this brace to get that part of the curve. Uh, so again, you just want to look to see where that curve apex is. If it's T8 and lower, you can typically probably just treat this with a TLSO. Um, but if that curve apex is T7 or, or higher, uh, then you may consider um, treating this with a, with a cervical TSLO. And the thing about these braces, and uh, there is a new, there was a journal in um, the new, it was an article in the, I think the new England, like the big, like new England journal um, that went over like bracing and, and treating it for uh, scoliosis. But anyway, anyways, the braces need to be worn for at least 16 to 23 hours daily. So they need to, that compliance is a big thing uh, when you're looking at the effectiveness and bracing for the treatment of AIS. So um, again, TLSO and a cervical TLSO, if the curve apex is above T7. Now, what are some of the surgical treatment options for AIS? Uh, usually they are treated with posterior spinal fusion with instrumentation. And um, I don't know if we're going to get into all the different types of osteotomies and all of that sort of stuff, but basically there are different types of osteotomies that can be performed based on the degree of correction that needs to happen and how rigid the spine is. And so that's, that's when you're getting the bending x-rays and you may see them in one of the questions on the, uh, ABOS or the, uh, OITE, but, um, they'll show you some bending x-rays and, and if the, uh, patients, when they bend to the I want to say when they bend to the side of the curve, so right-sided curves are more common. And if they bend towards their right side of their body and their spine straightens out more, like it looks like a more normal spine where that curve is, that's a more flexible spine. And so that is one where the osteotomies may not be as required. But if they do bend to that side and their curve is still very pronounced, it doesn't correct at all, then you may need to do some sort of like Ponte osteotomies or Smith-Peterson osteotomies, or um, they call them like uh, vertebral wedge osteotomies or vertebral column resections to help uh, correct some of that deformity so that you can get their spine more straight um, without compromising neurologic or pulmonary function. And so 
Uh, like you said earlier, um, with the posterior and anterior spinal fusions, the younger patients that still have a lot of growth left, you want to prevent that crankshaft phenomenon by uh, combining anterior and posterior fusions. But if they're closer to skeletal maturity or there's not a lot of correction that's needed, then a posterior spinal fusion is most likely going to get the job done. I I personally didn't see any combined anterior and posterior spinal fusions because I think they're more reserved for the infantile or yeah. congenital scoliosis type cases. Yeah, um, and no, but, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. I was just going to move on to the next question. So if you had something to add in. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I just found it. So we talked about this in our spine um, series in episode 13, actually, for those that want a specific episode to go back and look up on some of the different type of osteotomies that, that can be used. So we talked about like parcel facet joint resections, complete facet joint resections, um, the pedicles, the pontiosteotomies. Uh, so if you want a, a review of that, go and check out episode uh, 13 of our of our spine series. Yeah. Perfect. I'm glad we already covered them. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but these are huge surgeries on uh, pediatric patients. And so they are not without their own complications. What are some of the major complications you can see? Yeah. And I think some of the things I've seen on the questions are like, you know, infections and pseudoarthrosis. So those are like two of the big things. And, you know, obviously there are other complications, hardware failure, et cetera. Um, but for pseudoarthrosis, you know, how that may, that may present and maybe down the line, uh, the patients may come back, they still have some kind of back pain and then you see their deformity is worsening. So you get some x-rays or a CT scan that shows that there's actually a pseudoarthrosis. And so how you treat that is they're going to need a revision, almost like kind of how you treat every other pseudoarthrosis uh, is you, you're going to do a revision on posterior spinal fusion and you may put some type of biologics or some type of grafting to help with healing. Um, another thing is going to be delayed infections, uh, which present somewhat similarly, but they're going to have uh, maybe some pain, maybe some sy systemic symptoms, maybe not. Um, and the things that are through the organism's that are common are C acnes and staph epi. Um, so those are gonna be pretty, a little bit more common in patients that have um, AIS or a prior fusion. And so you treat this, again, if this is delayed, a later infection, you treat this with implant removal and antibiotics. Um, but if this is an early infection, you try to keep the implant in to allow uh, the bones to fuse if they can before you take out all the hardware. So it may be something like, you know, depending on how the patient is, like irrigation and debris with antibiotics, things of that sort. Um, so again, it's going to be pseudoarthrosis and delayed infections are some of the some of the major complications seen after a posterior spinal fusion for adolescent idiopathic scoliosis. Thank you all for listening to yet another episode of the Nail It Ortho podcast. We talked a lot about AIS or adolescent idiopathic scoliosis. If you want a deeper dive, go and check out our episode with Dr. Cho. But uh, we hope that you all hit the subscribe button and we'll see you all next time. Thank you all for listening to yet another episode of the Nail It Ortho podcast. Hope that you all enjoyed it. Hope you all are learning from our board slash OIT review series. And uh, without further ado, we'll see you next time.